0: Over the last couple of weeks, a month and a half or so, we've been going through a series where we've been looking at the life of Jesus and we've been answering the question or filling in the blank of what love is. And so, Harley, if you could put up that first deal, We, we had this grid that we've been looking through of how love starts with looking and then having compassion for what you see and then that compassion moving us into action. And so tonight we're going to... Take a look at a familiar story, probably to some, and maybe not to others. Um, And we're going to give a slight nuance to this grid. Um, And and this story is going to be dealing with righteous indignation. That's a biblical term that just stands for anger. Yeah, we're going to be talking about anger tonight. (laughs) Some of us need to control it. Um, When you hear that word anger... Some of us, we have a like. There's a negative connotation that, uh, that that ties to that, and and that's rightly so because there is an anger that produces sin. That's what James one tells us. James one, uh, James one verses nineteen, says this. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The founding p- pastor here, Tom Schrader, he had this quote. I lo- I, I, I'm going to dub it as my own one day. He, says, he, he said this one time. He says, uh, God has given us two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Respect the ratio. I'm just letting that sit for a second. Because human anger, this is verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So it's, it's good that when you're thinking through the lens of anger, like, man, that might be something we need to stay away from, especially if it's producing sin. Harley, if you put that picture up. So I had this picture three years ago. Um, and I was like, man, I'm, I can't wait for a moment that I get to use it. And here we are. <laughs> So, what what we have here is is Ren 1010 is making a uh, short term emotional decision that's going to leave a long term devastation. Did y'all hear that? Ren 1010? That's Ren 1010 he's trying to catch the bird there. He's making a short term decision that's going to end up costing him everything. That's the type of anger that sin produces and that's something that we want to try to avoid altogether. But let's make it clear tonight that there are two types. There's the one that leads to sin, as we see on the screen, but and and then there's this other one, this righteous indignation or this this good anger that leads to godliness and restoration. So before we continue on, let's let's stop and pray and let's ask for the Spirit's witness in this moment. Father Tonight, we are just extremely grateful that we get to uh, gather here as a community and we get to um, worship a holy God and we get to hear more of your spirits leading through your word and how it pushes us closer to you. And in this moment, I'm asking that you would um, give me the gift of preaching and teaching and allow me to speak very clearly to your people, that you would turn dead hearts to life, that you would bring awareness where, where sin is trying to creep in, and I pray by your spirit and your power that you would move on the hearts of your people tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1, and six, one through 6, and as you're turning there, I want to give us kind of a, a map of where we're going tonight. The framework we're going to be looking at, so I told you we're going to be nuancing that, that, that grid a little bit. We're going to start with how love does start with looking, but our second point that we're going to navigate through is through the lens of honesty, we're going to see how good anger is loving. Good anger is loving, and then we're going to see how good anger moves us into action. And then towards the end, we're going to give some practical steps of how to embody good anger. And, and Connor said this at the introduction of, of tonight, that our, this body, every time that we gather together, I want us, we want us, this leadership team, and may I add, this leadership of the church wants each of you to be moved closer to the person of Jesus. That's the goal. Each time that we sing a song, that a, pre, that a, a, a message is preached or taught from this pulpit, We want people to be moved closer to Jesus. So with that being said, let's look at how Mark chapter 3 highlights good anger. Verse 1 says this, another time Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with, with a shriveled hand was there. And some were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. And in verse 6, the, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. So before we begin to unpack this story, I, I think it's important for us to understand what the Sabbath is. And then why is it so important to these, to these religious leaders? Oh, help me, Lord. <laughs> All right. <laughs> To understand what the Sabbath is, we need to start at the beginning of the biblical story. Genesis 1, God creates. He creates heaven and earth. He creates the birds of the air, fish of the sea. He creates human beings like you and me. But I'm not a rapper. Because that rhymes. In chapter 2, after God was done with all of his creating, verses 2 and 3, it lays out how He rested. In this culture, in our culture today, the Sabbath would be a Sunday. Uh, uh, the last day of the week that we would rest from our, our hard work throughout the week. So a Sabbath in the Butler household looks like daddy on the couch for about three or four hours and getting ready to watch the Buccaneers win another Super Bowl. <laughs> hey, 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 stop all that hate. Okay, don't get mad because your team sucks. Um, <laughs> The Sabbath day was a day that was meant to be set apart as holy and rest from your labor. And then to understand the importance of why these religious leaders were so hard nosed on keeping the Sabbath, we have to look at Exodus 28 through 10. And it says this Remember the Sabbath. Now, this is God Almighty speaking. Remember the Sabbath. The day keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. I love this about Jesus, and we see it here through God himself. We say this a lot around here. Jesus never tells his disciples to do anything that he's not willing to do himself and what we see here is God setting the example first and then making it a mandate through the 10 commandments to rest for the children of Israel the sabbath was a reminder to them of how God rescued them from 400 years of oppression manual labor sweat blood and tears generation after generations dying and still entrapped in slavery and then God, through His servant Moses, liberates the children of Israel. So He takes them from work and labor into rest. So the Sabbath was symbolic to rescuing from the oppression. in In 2017, we the church did a uh, like a prayer kind of seminar deal, and we had this guy from, from New York come in. His name was Pastor Rich. I don't know his last name, and I don't know what church he was from. He was pretty good, and he was talking about like the Sabbath. The whole thing, the prayer moment was just centered around the Sabbath. Now, he told this story of in, in New York, a bunch of apartments. He was walking past his neighbor's door. The neighbor's door was open. As he, as he walks by, the guy said, hey, Rich, 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 Rich. hey, could you, could you come in for a second? So he he says he comes into the to the uh, to the apartment and his the, the, the guy's mom was in a weird chair. He was like, "Hey, could you get my mom's purse and give it to her?" And so Rich is like, "All right, this is a little weird, but yeah, sure. I will give you the purse." He's like, "Hey, are are you going down to the lobby?" He's like, "Yeah, I could do that." Okay, cool, cool. we're from the roll right now. So he 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 gets his mom, takes it to the to the elevator, pushes the button. Rich he was like, "Rich, could you push the button?" So Rich pushes the button. As he's in the elevator, he's saying, "Look, today's our Sabbath. When we get down to." The, the lobby, there's going to be a taxi cab waiting on us. Could you open the door for us? Right. That's how serious they take it. There was, there was some, some Jewish cultures that said that if you cut your hand, it was okay to stop the bleeding, put a Band-Aid on it, but you can't put any ointment on it. The reason you don't put any ointment on it because it would be working to heal. That's how serious these folks took the Sabbath. To the Jewish lineage, observing the Sabbath was not an option. It was more of a a badge of honor. This was a way for them to practice their nationalistic cultural identity. Practicing the Sabbath was the most visible way for a Jewish person to, to show their identity. So I'm hoping that we're having a general idea of what the Sabbath is and why it's so important to these religious leaders here. So we're going to move into our first point of how love starts with looking. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3, which says this, and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Some theologians believe that this man was born with this withered hand. And this would have automatically placed him into the category of the unwanted ones. If you can do me a favor, let's let's just stop for a second and let's incarnate. Let's get into this story. Here's a guy who was destined to have a job as a beggar for the rest of his life from birth. He didn't do anything wrong. At least the scripture doesn't tell us. His slight deformity put him in the category of damaged goods. Incarnate for a second, how would you feel? You did nothing to deserve it. But this is your category, this is your lane, for the rest of your life. I hope you can feel the weight of this moment. And Here's the kicker. Now, this is a little side note here. The crazy thing is that the Pharisees knew that Jesus could actually do something about this man's need. The Pharisees actually knew that Jesus could perform a miracle. But their whole attention to details was missed completely, because their hearts were in the wrong place. Verse 2 says this. Some of them were looking to for a reason to accuse Jesus, and they watched him very closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, it's a sad reality, and it's an irony. They're unbelieving individuals. They don't believe Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. They don't believe that. But there's some of us in here that actually believe he is the Messiah, that he is the coming one. But we let doubt set in and we don't believe that he actually wants to heal us or wants to provide needs for us. That's a that's very alarming. Verse three says this. And so Jesus said to the man with shriveled hands, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked him, which is is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Jesus is trying to love the man with the withered hand, and he's trying to love the Pharisees in this moment. If you're taking notes, write this down. Love is a balancing act of grace and truth. I'm going to say that again. Love is a balancing act. Okay, We're balancing grace and truth. And Jesus is able to capture both in this story, grace and truth. He loves the man with the withered hand by dignifying him, not considering him as a charity case, but he gives him his self-worth. Now, he's trying to love the Pharisees here by having them look at the man through the lens of compassion. Do you see this man? Love starts with looking, which is our first point. And now we're going to transition into our second point of how seeing how Jesus in this moment, he shows us why good anger is loving. Verse 5, verse 4, excuse me, says this, then Jesus said, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Just like the story in Luke chapter 7, uh, this was a couple of, month, oh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talked about the, the sinful woman who was at uh, Simon the Pharisee's house, crashing the dinner party. It, the, the scripture says that Jesus knew what they was th- knew what Simon the Pharisee was thinking. And some, some theologians make the connection here that, that Jesus knows what these Pharisees are thinking as well. That's why he poses this line of questioning. Is it lawful to, s- to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? There, there are so many implications here. So many implications of how Jesus turns the tables on them with this line of questioning. But here's all we need to know from this point of the story. Jesus is trying to get them to see there's never a wrong time to do good. That is the point that Jesus is trying to make in this story. There's never a wrong time to do good. The kingdom of heaven has broken into the middle of history in this story. When we're thinking through the Lord's prayer of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, well, heaven is before them, but their stubbornness and their self-righteousness has blinded them. In the 1940s, there was a family that was from... uh, from England, that had moved to the United States of America. And this is in the 40s now. So when they got to America, they weren't used to this Western culture of the way of doing things. And they became upset at the way African-Americans were being treated in America. So this white couple from Europe came to America displeased with the treatment of African-Americans in the late 1940s. And so what they decided to do, this couple, they decided to buy hundreds of acres of land and then sell it to these African-American families. Guys, can I tell you something? My my family is, is, is recipients of that. My grandmother bought 15 acres, 15 acres of land in a time where redlining was a very, no, a very normal practice. And, and now my grandmother, my mother, me, and now my kids are going to have a place because the generosity of this couple, the lumblas. There are two reasons why good anger is loving. Holly, if you can go to that next slide. Good anger is loving because it motivates, it, it motivates the wicked intentions. It gets, gets those wicked intentions exposed and it seeks the good of the vulnerable. Good anger is necessary, may I add, because it exposes wicked motives and it seeks to do good for the most vulnerable. And to our final point, we see how good anger is loving. Now we need to move into how good anger moves us into action. Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. This should have been a time of celebration. But instead, it became a time to plot to kill Jesus. I need to be clear about something real quick. The point of this story is not that this man got healed. Now, that it's an amazing picture of God's goodness and grace, his, his glorious splendor when it comes to his kids. It's a great demonstration of love, but that is not the point. The point of this story actually is found in chapter 2 of Mark 27 and 28, and I want to read it real quick. It says this, and then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus had been dealing with this issue of, man, what are you guys doing on the Sabbath? The first kind of run around with the Pharisees was because Jesus and his homeboys was walking through a, 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 a little field with, with um, the, the grain of wheat. And they got a little hungry. And so they started picking the grain and eating as they went about their, about their way. Here's the deal. In the Levitical law, that was actually allowed. It was actually allowed for them to be able to pick and eat from the, their neighbor's yard. But of course, the Pharisees have different intentions. And so Jesus sets up the moment and exposes what I would, I would cl- uh, declare that this is the point of the Bible. That he's not just Lord over everything, but he's Lord even over the Sabbath. He's the Lord, the ruler, the king of everything. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus' anger always produces something good. Jesus' anger always produces something good. When he tells the man to stretch out his hand, Christ is pointing to the coming reality that Revelations 21 and 3 shares through the penmanship of John, that they will be his people. John is looking forward to the coming reality of God's people with, him, that they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. COVID has to go. Racism has to go. Sexism has to go. This coming a day When Jesus is going to wipe this thing clean, and we're going to be able to be in the presence of the Almighty, and he says that the former things will pass away. As we anticipate this soon coming day, the arrival of our king, the ruler, the creator, we have a responsibility to embody Christ-likeness. So as some practical steps, if you will, these are three takeaways that we're gonna just glean from this story. This is what I wanna submit to you. Number one, we see in this story that, that Christ is focused on the man who has the need. When it comes to good anger, Focus on the needs. We see that Christ is honest, not only with the man with the withered hand, but he's honest with the Pharisees. Be honest with yourself. And lastly, pray. Pray. Ask God, How can you, how can we be used to be more like him? I'm going to invite Connor and the team up. And we're going to enter into a time of prayer. But but before we do that, I want us to reflect on this one question. Who do you identify in this story with? Do you identify with this crippled man? who knows he has nothing. He doesn't have anything to offer. And yet he's standing in the presence of the one who provides everything. The one that he's standing in the presence of is given an invitation of restoration. Do you you identify with him? Or do you identify with the Pharisees who are blinded by self-righteousness and refuses to incarnate into the brokenness of people's stories? Who do you identify with? Whoever you are, let me just share this. This There's good news. There's good news for us tonight. That Jesus' anger doesn't stop in this story. His anger drives him to a place called Calvary. His anger drives him to 39 lashes. His anger drives him to a a crown of thorns and to be ridiculed, his beard plucked, His anger drives him to a place where he's given three nails and he prays for those who are nailing him to the cross. Praise God, his anger doesn't stop there. Because it moves into restoration in in his redeeming life from the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father so that you and I can have Eternal life. This is good news for us, 710. God's anger, his wrath poured out on Jesus so that you and I can have right relationship with him. Whoever you are in here, whoever you are, he's standing with an invitation. Are you ready to receive his invitation? If you're a believer in this room, I always kind of challenge us to lean more into the image of Christ. Christ's likeness comes from a place of love. And if you're a Christian, I want you to be moved to his likeness. But in this moment, tonight, I want us to pray for those who don't believe, for you who are not believing, for you who come in and you're looking for answers, you're searching and you tried to find it in a a bottle, you tried to find it in a relationship, you tried to find it in every other place. Can I submit this? Try Jesus. Consider your life in Him. What a true and authentic relationship with Christ would produce in your life. Let's pray.